You're listening to the How Do We Meet podcast, where your host, O.C., will be speaking to a number of guests about how they met and the experiences they've gone through in their careers and personal life. Here's your host, O.C. We have a, a special guest, um, Tommy. Tommy, how you feeling, girl? <laughs> I'm good, O.C. How you doing? I'm I'm good. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm okay. I mean, all of my audios got deleted uh, yesterday. Uh, for my previous podcast, but That's I'm crazy. good. That's crazy. So, um, introduce yourself really quick uh, for the audience. So, my name is Tommy Cole. It's really Tamisha, but call me Tommy. I am a model. I am an, a singer. I am a teacher. Um, those are all my jobs by trade or things that I do and enjoy doing. I am a mother first, and I have two children, a son, 15-year-old, and my daughter, she's six. So that's a little bit about me, unless you want to know some more. I mean, I don't want to know any more, but I think the audience wants to hear more. Well, I don't know exactly what it is that you want me to introduce to your audience. What else do you want to know? Okay, well, I'm going a, I'm to a go now. I mean, you go ahead. Okay. Um, so I kind of want to bring back one of the things that we spoke about the other day where you were trying to over-talk me. <laughs> um, uh-huh. <laughs> You're so funny. Okay, about <laughs> about the whole bathroom situation and like how okay, I don't know why you just rolled your neck. <laughs> I'm trying to understand what the problem was. I don't know why you just rolled your neck. Because for <laughs> like because for me, for my understanding, right? Uh-huh. If if you have a girl or whatever and they sleep over however it is and they're on their period, mm-hmm. right? That time of the month, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think that if they use your bathroom, mm-hmm. right, everything that they have, like their pads and blah, 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 mm-hmm. that should be put in a bag, right? Mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. wrap it up in that bag mm-hmm. and throw it out outside. Yeah, we talked about that. And and like I told you, if you want them to have or put their things in a bag, because I'm going to be honest with you, most women are not carrying around little bags like we picking up dog doodle. We're not doing it. <laughs> so we don't have bags to put our women's items in once we are finished using them. The norm is when you're in the restroom or wherever you are, if you have a feminine item that you need to take off or dispose of, you wrap it up in tissue, you know, or you wrap it up into the wrapper it came in, however you are able to do so. But you wrap it up to where it's discreet and really not noticeable, and you put it in the trash. I don't know what? why you feel like... It needs to go outside. Like it's a d- with all of these big bags that you women carry, <laughs> you telling me y'all don't got like bags in there? Like for a, that? A no, we don't Come carry on. those like bags, like disposable period bags. We don't have those. Wait, okay. So do they have those? Like no. So you might need to go ahead and pack that. So why haven't somebody invented that? Because there's really not a need. Why do we need those? I don't. I don't want to smell that. No, that's where I was trying to wait for. I was waiting on you to say something about the smell because there should not be a smell. There's not going to be a smell. Women, when they're in their cycle, shouldn't have a smell. So I don't know what type of funky booty women you're dealing with. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> Yo. I'm just being honest. I got lightheaded. Because it's not. It's not supposed to be a scent. If there's a scent, then that means there may be an issue going on. But for the most part, women on their cycle shouldn't have a smell. Tommy, <laughs> if I come to your crib 
mm-hmm. and I blow your bathroom up. And you have. And I have. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> uh-huh. And I have for sure. Mm-hmm. But if you go in that bathroom, you ain't, you can't tell. Okay. Be- right? Yeah. You know what and, I'm saying? And guess what? I've been on my cycle before at your house before. Use it and you didn't know it was in there, did you? Didn't know what? That it was left in your trash. Tommy, get out. Did you? Tommy. Tom, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tom, Tommy, get out. That's my dish, bro. Hey, yo, it's not. <laughs> I appreciate y'all for tuning in. This was the shortest interview I've ever had. You, you anyway. wild. I, I feel like you just talking. I feel like you just no, saying I'm that. No, It's the old house, not this one, the old house. Yeah, yeah, you can just put it on the floor. Um, no one cares about your bath. Um, <laughs> I pick all this shit on me. <laughs> Play with me. You recording it or you still had on? Oh no, this recording. <laughs> um, so okay, so cool. So let's talk about it. Um, how do we meet? You will wait till I got something in my mouth. Um, how did we meet, Ochita? Do you I remember? Just, I just asked you the do question. Do you remember? Yeah, I do. Oh, okay. Well, we met with the black revolutionaries, really the mm-hmm. black, well, we was trying to be the black Panthers, but we met doing that. I mm-hmm. remember the first day I met all y'all outside, because I already knew Spike and all, you know, I had knew, known him beforehand, and when he told me about it, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm down, I'm interested. And so I just remember everybody meeting up, where was we at, the, um, the Jamaican restaurant on... I don't think I was there. You didn't come to that one? No. On what street is that? Um, I didn't end up marching, but, and they had their pistols. We got video. I'm trying to remember. What street is that? Northside. You didn't come to that one? You no. didn't come to that first meeting? Mm-mm. Oh. I, I would have remembered that. So then where did we meet? At your house? Because <laughs> if you didn't come to the first meeting, then it had to be at your house. Then that was like the second meeting. What, when was the second meeting? I believe at your house. I believe that was the next location we had a meeting. Because when we met up there, I think most of us communicating was through, like, messaging. We got on Telegram, I think. Right. And then we started meeting, and I think the first location we actually met up at was your house. Okay. It was the very, very, very beginning. Like, when we kind because of, I, I think when we met up over there, we all kind of introduced ourselves. That's when we all, like, we met um, Whitney and... Sid, because Sid wasn't supposed to come, but she ended up coming. Right, and then right, Bruce right. was there. Mm-hmm. Um, Marv came. I came. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so explain a little bit, all right, um, to the people listening, what what the Black Revolutionaries are, were. We're about. So, the Black Revolutionaries, we were, we wanted to kind of be similar to what the Black Panthers were really about. Like, upon doing the research and having family members that participated in the Black Panthers in the past, different members of the group, wanted to kind of emulate what they did. We wanted to, because everything, we really kind of birthed around the time of George Floyd, right? When George Floyd happened, we were tired of all of the, you know, the police brutality and stuff like that. So I know, I know Spike and I saw him post something and I was like, okay. So, you know, we was, everybody was anxious. So I know that that's when everything kind of got started. It wasn't official yet, but you know, we kind of were, everybody was, was, ready for the smoke because of what happened with George Floyd because we watched it. It was different because we watched it. So that's when we ended up getting together. But our the mission and the vision behind what we were trying to do was to educate the community about our gun rights and laws and things like that, um, knowing what's available to us, 
um, one way that we modeled that was through the protest and being visible with assault rifles, um, marching, um, being on the front lines. I wasn't a part of the front line. I was more so involved in the education aspect and wanting to educate our community about finance because that's my thing. I'm strength in numbers. So, but that was something that, you know, that we wanted to put out there was to let people know that we have the same rights and we can, you know, exercise the same laws and things like that as white people and people from different cultures. Um, we also wanted to police our own because we know that when it comes to white police officers, a lot of times they don't know what's going on in our black communities. They don't understand. So when they come out, they're not looking at it through the same lens as a cop or somebody that is the same color as who we are. You know, so we wanted to provide that for the culture or the community and we wanted it to grow. Right. Um, so, you know, very similar to the Black Panthers. Right. That, mm. um, because we were trying to work on an event that we were planning for the community and things just didn't work out as planned and everybody mm. kind of got into it with Spike. Um, it was some situations with the planning and everything and mm. who was involved and who played what role and, you know, just that type of stuff that yeah. kind of divided everybody up. I think I think the biggest thing uh, for me was uh, that took place was was ego um, played yeah. a big role Very big. in like the whole organization just separating and going their yeah and just going their own individual ways mm -hmm. um, because honestly like I think I think that was the most um, important thing that I've ever done like in my yeah. life. Mm -hmm. um like actually putting myself in like in front of other people and making sure that they were safe and like and everything like that we all know around that time like what was going on like mm -hmm. there was a lot of um senseless violence that was going on around the city mm -hmm. um i remember one time um there was a truck that um that uh that fired off at some teenagers oh, yeah. i think it was in west end or something like that it was over by edgewood right and mm -hmm. then so that was all over the news. Mm -hmm. And so one time we were at the, um, I believe it was at the courthouse, um, the Capitol building. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were having a protest. And then uh, we all went out there to kind of like make sure that everybody was good and stuff like that. Um, and a truck pulled up. And the truck pulled up. And I was like, wait, that looks very, that, that looks just like the truck. And so I'm on my phone just looking at stuff and I'm like, I'm like, I'm looking at news reports and stuff kind of to see like, because they caught a video like of that truck. So I'm looking and I'm seeing like, and I'm like, yo, this looks just like the truck. And so I like just went over on the walk. I was like, yo, let's all just be at alert. Da, da, da. And then, so I'm watching the truck and then the window on the back of the truck comes down mm -hmm. and then like somebody's looking and I see something through the window. I'm like, yo, I don't know what's going on, but I hope this does not go left. Right. And my, my heart was racing so mm -hmm. fast because I was like, if something goes wrong, I don't want any, uh, Bruce spike mm -hmm. or I, like, I don't want any, anything to happen to anybody that's out there. Um, the stress level of doing that. And mm -hmm. um, somebody said something about it. Like somebody was like, yo, um, doing this, we have to understand that at times the stress is going to be really bad. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to speak up if you feel like you can't take it or if you feel like you need a break or such and such. Um, and yeah, it was just, 
I think it was just crazy how everything happened. Like, I'm upset that it ended. Me too. Um, but I am <clears throat> I am at peace with the fact that I don't have to deal with that stress of like lot. of like being worried about yo if my brothers that's out there like hold like holding it down was gonna make it back. Mm-hmm. I remember how it used to affect you. Yeah, mm-hmm. listen, there was there was there was one time. Remember the Wendy's that got burned down? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, whose funeral? Who's Richard Bucks? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, his his whole funeral procession. Mm-hmm. I remember came, I was out there. Yeah, it mm-hmm. it came through there, mm-hmm. and so um and so we were doing security for the like for the whole thing. Yeah. And so I'm in my car. Like an hour later maybe less it was up the street mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden i just heard pow 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 and i was like what i knew i knew it wasn't fireworks yeah because people were running mm. because what had happened was somebody pulled up and they got mad that they couldn't come down that street mm. and what they did was they started shooting up in the, in air, the air and yeah. they drove off Mm-hmm. I mean that's mm-hmm. I mean that's what I've been. I think out of like ten or twelve people outside of like people that I actually knew before then, like Marv, mm-hmm. um, you're the only one that I still speak to like like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, what, I like, mean, I still gonna... like I still uh, speak to Bruce. Uh, yeah, like yeah. I check up number on every time, time. But as far as like having a a actual relationship mm-hmm. where it's like um, checking in and. Mm-hmm. And like, right, 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 right. Mm -hmm. Like you're the only person uh, that I keep in contact with. Why is that? Cause you love me, dog. (laughs) What you mean? (laughs) Nah, we just, we clicked right away. Like it was like immediate, but you know, it's like, and I felt like it was like that with everybody in the group, Mm -hmm. but you know, when it, when it's like that genuine connection, friendship, and it's just like effortless, it's easy. So but it was a lot too because throughout the group it was certain things that i saw in everybody like it was certain things and i felt like at that time during covid over that time when we was at home and i was cuz i was at home for a whole year i'm a teacher so i was at home teaching for a whole year virtually but in that time i was doing a lot of self searching and you know learning and understanding myself so i felt like as I was going through my healing processes, because I was going through something at that that entire time we were during COVID. Um, but in that, I realized that I had to learn that it, everybody that I meet, they have a different purpose in my life, of course. Um, and so it was just certain things. I feel like I'm in other people's lives for a purpose too. So, but with you, it was like, when when everything was happening and we started to see how things were affecting you, I was worried. I was like, oh no, and I and I'm genuinely concerned about somebody that I know is a genuine person, and I know how you are. So I was like, oh no, I can't. Uh-uh. Something wrong. We need to see. I need to know what's up. I need y'all to come. We need to come together. We need to show that support. We need to be solid if that's what we were really trying to do. If that's what I was always trying to push for. Being solid. Everybody open communication, being honest, stuff like that. But that's just how it was. So when it came to you, it was like I was overprotective. I was like, oh, now we got to make sure OC okay. Like, because I saw how you were with the group. You protect us on the outside. So we need to make sure that you protect it too. And that was something that I always wanted to make sure was there. 
So that's what it was. I was like, you know, I had to make sure you was good. I'm like, but that, I felt like I was a protector in a different type of way mm-hmm. of the group. Yeah. When I had the conversation with Spike and I was like, hey, bro, uh, I'm going to have to step away. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, yeah, I totally understand. Da, da, da. Mm-hmm. Yep, I remember that. Um, but like when I stepped away, I kind of, um, I don't know, like it didn't feel right. I don't know what happened. Like, cause I've always dealt with anxiety. Um, but like at that time, um, on that day, on that particular day, it's like everything just hit me at once. Or my sister called you, mm-hmm. but all not me, but all I know, and like in that moment, um, I think my sister came there first. No, 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 I forgot who came there. I got first. there before your sister. Okay, we all. It was me, Marv, and one other person. Bruce that popped up. Yeah, we came straight there as soon as I talked to you. As I talked to you, you called me. And I talk to you, and I can always tell. I can always, I don't care what you tell me. I can always tell when something's wrong. I can tell when something's wrong with everybody. But I was just like, when you said it, I was like, yeah, no, nah, I don't know. This don't sound good. So I called them, and I was like, listen, we need to get over there with OC right now. We need to check on them. And, because I know that there are certain things that I can do, but having men there is also, you know what I'm saying? I know it's a certain level of comfort when it comes to that. So I needed them to be there too, so. You know, I was like, well, we need to get over there and see what's going on with OC. So we came, and I was like, if nothing else, I just wanted to make sure we was there. Because I didn't know what was going on with you. You didn't know what was going on. Nobody knew. So we didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a clue, you know. And I didn't know what your relationship with your sister and your family was. So it really wasn't much that I could say. I didn't want to get in in your business and start asking questions. Because I really didn't know, and it was, you know, it wasn't my place. So, but I just wanted to make sure if nothing else, we was there. People go over the edge when they don't have anybody they can talk to and they feel like they're doing it alone. So to have that support was important to me. Like that's big for me with my friends. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I feel like I, and, and, and for me in that moment, I, I think what, what was happening was a lot of stuff that I was going through. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and on top of a lot of, stuff that we've done mm-hmm. through the, the organization mm-hmm. and stuff started piling up. I mean, started just piling up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know how to really like release that. Um, and so I think that was, cause that was in 2020. So that was kind of like the building blocks for like entering that phase of like that really deep depression. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't there yet in that moment, but mm-hmm. It was slowly, it was slowly, gradually getting there. And we sat there. Yeah, and just sat there. And I was. And you was in the room. Yeah, I was just (laughs) in my room, right? I remember when you was going through that healing. Well, I had to go through the process just because of some of the experiences I had in my childhood. Didn't realize it was from my childhood until I got into a relationship with somebody that I felt like showed me a type of love that I wasn't used to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, of course, growing up in your household, you know, your parents, they raise you a certain type of way. They have certain rules, certain things, you know, certain procedures and routines, and you get accustomed to that. That's your norm. That's your normal. That's function. That's what's functioning in your household. Growing up as a child, that's all you know. You don't know what's happening in other people's households unless you're in those houses all the time. But if you're growing up in your household with your parents, you're not really knowing what's going on. So what you see in your house is normal. So if you see your parent getting beat down, that's normal to you. That's functional. That's because that's what you're used to. That's what you see. So you think that's normal. And when you get older, if you haven't been taught how to deal with your emotions or to understand what emotions are or to learn and know that what you're seeing is not right, Mm -hmm. 
you're going to carry that same type of energy or you're going to exhibit the same type of behaviors. Sometimes, not always. I'm not saying always, but I just know that that has a tendency or can happen. Right. So, but for me, what I dealt with, what I saw was an alcoholic parent. And that's a lot. That's a norm for a lot of people that I know. I know a lot of people that have experienced alcoholic parent growing up. Um, and so, but our generation of parents or my generation of parents have that mindset of what happens in this house stays in this house. You don't tell my business. So if you're seeing your parent get beat up or your parent is an alcoholic or something like that, you're not talking about that outside of the house to other people because that's what the, our you know parents raised us. That's how they raised us. That generation also didn't look at therapy as something that would be beneficial to them because I don't need to tell them my business. I don't need to tell no white person my business. They're not going to be able to help me with my problems. That's the mindset. Right. So that's what we're taught. So that's what we believe. We get older and we kind of repeat the cycle. Right. Not a good cycle, you know, but we don't know that. But anyway, so got into the relationship with the guy who loved me in a way that I wasn't used to. And it was like an unconditional love is what it felt like. But at the time, I didn't know. I didn't know what it was. Now I do. But then I didn't know, but it was different from what I was used to. So what made me realize that it was some changes that I needed or that it was some things that were wrong with me was because I felt like he was loving me in the right way and I was showing him something else, displaying that I was hurting him. I realized, well, if I'm hurting this man that's loving me, then I can only imagine what I'm doing with my child. That's what made me start to go to therapy because I didn't want to do to my son. My son at the time, he was like, he was like, he's 15, so he was about five, four, five, six. At that time when I'm realizing that I need to go through this, I'm like, I don't want to be to my son what I felt like my father was or my parents were to me. I want to be able, I want my son to be comfortable with coming to me, talking to me, being able to express his emotions and how he feels. So I realized that it was something that I needed to change, but I didn't know where it came from and why. So that's when I started my journey. I got me a therapist and she was a white woman and that white woman helped me with so much. Like she opened my eyes to a lot. So I can't be that person to say, I only go cause I would be lying. If I said that woman didn't help me, she definitely, I loved her and I was upset when she left the practice. But I can understand why God put in my life to help me with that healing process, because it was something like growing up in church. I believed in God, but I didn't really know and understand the Bible. You're making all that noise. My bad. I'm tripping. (laughs) But when I was growing up, you know, it was certain things that I questioned. I really didn't understand. So I didn't have that that religious, you know, background or understanding to be able to call on or be confident in calling on it. So. The crystals helped me because I was on a search for understanding me and who I am and where I came from. So those crystals helped me through that process. Once I got what I needed out of the crystals, as you can see, I stopped wearing them. I don't need them anymore because now I I look for God's word. I look for, you know, my relationship with God, that communication with God and that faith to help me through with it. You know, everything that I'm dealing with. Right. When he told me that I was wrong and I was hurting him, mm-hmm. I used to have that pride where I'd be like, what? Anyway, man up. But that's not how it, that's not how it's supposed to be. I it, I really needed to take that time to self reflect. Well, dang, well, why does he feel like that? He shouldn't. Feel, so I had to be like that, and that's what I realized. In a lot of people that I come across, they're not willing to do that. So it stops them from being able to go through the healing process. They stop themselves, and I know that that shadow work, that dark work, that hard that's hard. It's tough. The truth hurts, but you gotta go through that. You gotta forgive the people that hurt you. You can't be thirty five years old upset at your mom or your dad for something they did when you was five or six. The biggest thing about healing right there is being able to control your emotions and controlling how you respond to the triggers. People think, 
when they're not exposed or they don't have any triggers that they're healed. No, you feel healed because you haven't experienced any triggers. Let a trigger come. How you respond to that trigger will let you know if you've healed or not. Mm -hmm. That's something that I'm still working on because traffic, I got road rage. (laughs) We know. So, yeah. But, you know, that's all of that. I just said a whole lot. No, it was a whole lot of goodness, though. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that you said, like, man up. Mm-hmm. I hate when people say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wrong because because I'm like, what does that mean? Nothing. <laughs> like, at the end of the day, um, I'm human, right? Exactly. I go through, I go through the same things you go through, because I'm human. Uh, one of the things that really stuck to me is back in, was it 2020? I'm not sure if it was 2020 or um, early 2021. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine, he um, going through what I was going through, um, and then I had some more stuff that I was dealing with, mm-hmm. um, and then he told me he was like, "Yo, OC, bro," and I mean, because I was talking to him and we were just breaking stuff down, and he was like, "Yo, OC, bro, man up, man." You know what I'm saying? You got to man up, bro. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and then like in my head, I'm like, "What the fuck does that mean?" I think when people say man up, I realize it's wrong now. I don't. I would never tell my son to man up. Like what is like you said? What does that mean? But I feel like when people say that, they look at man as not having emotion and being able to handle and carry whatever weight. But that's wrong. That's why our black men are suffering so much now because they're being told to man up and they're being told that tough love is the best love. Absolutely, is not. Look at tough, tough love and what it did. Like when we look at our our ancestors, slavery, and what the masters did to the black man and to the family, it was to instill fear. That shit ain't, come on now. You know what I'm saying? So it's like we're doing it to ourselves now. We're telling our men, our black men, man up. No, that's not. We need to love on our black men. We need to pour into and encourage and support and be there. That's what our black men need. Our black men need to feel like they're being supported by their women. But they don't want to feel like we're complaining or nagging and pulling because that's not what it's supposed to be. You know what I'm saying? And that's also what I learned. I realized that it was certain things that I had to change in me as a woman if I want to be a wife. I have to be able to be submissive. But I also will know when a man is worth being submissive to. That's another part of what our black family struggle with right now. Men are like, have given people opportunities to like say, Hey, listen, I'm suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, and the only thing I need is your support. But I feel like a lot of times that's like, it's swatted away. Like, Mm -hmm. um, like with the whole, Oh man up. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh no, you're supposed to be able to take this, these conversations. Um, I should have them way more, but I have them a lot on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And so um, when um, I don't know if you heard the story with DJ Twitch um, mm-hmm. that you committed suicide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had this. Um, so I brought it on TikTok and we were having a conversation and I only allowed men to come up and talk mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because I feel like a lot of times when you bring women into that space, they get into their emotions mm-hmm. And they're not willing to hear what a man has to mm-hmm. say. Because a lot of times when men are being honest, women feel like it's an attack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why I only allowed men to come up. The support you gave me when I was going through it, 
um, I think, I don't think a lot of people have that kind of support. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't. It matters, and a lot of black men don't like to open up. They don't want to be vulnerable. Um, and it's a fear. It's a fear. And and really, I feel like what it takes and it's going to take for everybody, not just black men, but black women, too, is a mindset change. People have to change their mindset and how they look at certain things. Like, like I said earlier, growing up in a household, being taught or watching certain routines, it's embedded in your mind or it's embedded into your, your head. So when you get older, you naturally start to create those same habits. Just because we saw our parents do it doesn't mean that it was right or that it was okay or that it was even the best thing to do. Nobody's perfect. And I don't judge my parents. I don't judge anybody because who knew? Who knows? Nobody knows. There's not a rule book on being a parent. Nobody knows. You know, we just go based off of what we know to do. And that's why I feel like when people get older as adults, you shouldn't hold it against your parents when they raised you. They did the best they knew how to do. Just like when we get older and we become parents, we do the best we know how to do. Nobody's perfect. So if you don't want anybody to judge your parenting, then you shouldn't judge yours. You know what I'm saying? Or judge your parents and stuff like that. So, but I feel like, Having a mindset change and allowing people to express themselves and listening to understand as opposed to listening to respond. Because that's something I used to always do. I would listen to respond because I already knew what I was about to say. I'm just mm-hmm. waiting on you to finish. Hurry up. Shut up. Finish what you because I need to say what I need to say. Right, like, right. That's how I was. And that's not right. That's not effective communication for one. You know what I'm saying? That's being selfish as hell. And it doesn't help anything. It makes the situation worse. One thing that I've always said, even before I went through my healing and became how I am now, I always say, if I'm in a relationship, I don't ever want to go to bed mad at the person I'm in a relationship with. That's just something I heard on TV, and I feel like that's good. I feel like that forces people to talk about their issues. But what I realized is that really matters, like, because you just never know, you know, and it's no... Even not even if it's to the extreme of the person might die or something happened and you don't get to talk to them again, but for yourself have learned how black men black men have learned how to bottle close bottle up and push them emotions deep 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 and so it takes a lot to get them to be vulnerable because they're so used to being shut down and told man up or your feelings don't matter because men shouldn't have emotions you a man men don't show emotions that's so wrong Nature versus nurture. Nurture matters. And if we're not, we're, what, what's happening is our children are not being nurtured anymore. And that's why we see these kids that have no fear of authority. They don't give a fuck about nothing. They're fearless. They don't care. And it's a good thing in some ways, but it's really bad in a lot of other ways. Because being a teacher, seeing it firsthand in the classroom, we, we headed down a real dark path right now with, these, with the generation of kids that's coming up. And I even told myself that. I was like, yo, I don't want my entire friendship with you to be like this. Like I wasn't me, worried about it. Like, like, no, but I was. I got you. Like, no, in the you. state that I was, because I was like, yo. And I was like, bro, like, are you okay with being broken for the rest of your life? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you couldn't tell me right. what what I came to, like, right, right. On, like, on my own. Exactly. So, yeah, it wasn't until that moment that I was like, oh, snap. Damn. I let two years just... But you needed to. You had to go through that. You had to. Because if you didn't, you wouldn't be where you are now. You wouldn't have the knowledge that you had. You would be nowhere near where you are right now. Yeah. Mentally. I'm, I Do you mean, think I you're stronger mentally? 
I am. Yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah, not yeah. for sure. Because this is my thing. This is what I think, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I was thinking about it. And like earlier when I was talking, I was trying to come to a best, the best way of how to explain what you asked about what, as far as how can we change the things that's happening with black men. Well, for me, what I realized what therapy is, therapy is because a lot of black people have it misconstrued. You know, some people don't know how, know how to say the word, mm -hmm. but misconstrued what therapy is. Therapy is not you going in and sitting on somebody's couch and they telling you about your problem. Nobody's telling you anything. When you go to a therapist, a real good therapist listens. That's why I said when you listen to understand, that's the most important thing. You have to listen. What they do is they listen to you. They let you speak. They, you do most of the talking in therapy. They ask you guiding questions, and you don't even know you're being guided, but they ask you specific specific types of questions because they're trained on it, and they ask you questions that's going to pull certain things out of you, which is going to make you think you are going to do the therapy for yourself. They're just helping you to realize what emotions are, what you're experiencing. They ask you to pay attention. They want you to be mindful. That's all it is. We need to be mindful. We need to be compassionate. We need to listen. And that's what it is. When you have compassion, you don't hate on a person. You're not upset about what they're doing because you can't hate from up close. I want to talk about Nami, uh, Nami, uh, this real big issue. Um, well, it's not an issue. So um, I think a lot of women suffer from like from this. Um, and I just want to know how you feel about I know he's about to say some smart shit. I know <laughs> because I was trying. I was trying not I to tell look by at your you. Face. I was trying not to look at you in the eyes because <laughs> you knew I was gonna catch you. You knew I was gonna catch you. I'm looking at you. I see you trying so hard not to laugh. I'm watching you. You were <laughs> so uncomfortable, OC. You can't hide them from me. I knew. I knew you was about to say some. Go ahead. When I looked at your face and I saw your head turn, you already know. I know. Number you like. I know he about to be on some bullshit. I already know you is. Go ahead. <laughs> Come on. I'm ready. I'm ready. What's up? So, so, so. <laughs> so, a lot of, so, a lot of women suffer from this disorder. Um, and, and, what? and, and I want to hear what you feel about it because <laughs> you don't suffer from this disorder. A lot of women don't have nails on their pinky toe. <laughs> um, and, let me, and I want to know, um, from somebody that has a nail on their pinky toe, so how do you uh -huh. feel about that? I mean, I don't pay any attention because, I mean, what good is the nail on my pinky toe? You go to the nail salon. You don't have a nail, right? <laughs> what do they do? <laughs> They'll paint a little bit on top of their skin <laughs> to make it look like a toenail. Wait, like, seriously? <laughs> like, wait, hold I'm on. Dead okay, serious. wait, wait, hold on. So, man, it, okay, they say, so I do nail for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, so it's called a pedicure, right? So, when you go uh -huh. get a pedicure, mm -hmm. And you don't have a nail on your pinky toe. You're telling me they're just gonna paint the skin. They can. They will. Yeah. <laughs> they what? will paint the skin. They will. That makes no sense. It's the cosmetic to make it look like it. I mean, if there's no toenail there, I mean, really, it's nothing you can do. They can put a fake nail on there, but not really, because it's gonna come off if there's no nail there. Okay, who got time for one? I don't like going to the nail salons, and they don't really take care of your feet. They know what they don't care about your feet. They're not cleansing all of them products in between uses. They're not. And then they don't clean their they're not as clean as we would like for them to be. And one of my feet, the bottom of my feet started to peel. Why? My feet don't peel. It's because going to them nail salons. 
So who you mad at right now? The, the AM Asian people that be doing it to my feet. And oh. your shit is still peeling? Yes. You got to go to the doctor, bro. I did. I I'm went to the doctor. She you. gave me some cream for my feet, but it's... That, that's, and just moisturizing. I moisturize them daily. That's, that's nasty, because... Oh, hush. That is... They, I mean, that they, is they smell good. No, this is my child blowing me up as usual. Okay. Um. So, yo, listen. Okay. We have not spoke about your music. Well, I, I would consider myself to be more of a neo-soul type artist. Um, just because I, I like soul music. I like... For me, music is therapy. That's another part of a form of therapy for me. Um, also writing, which I'm trying to get back into journaling and stuff. But mm-hmm. it's so time consuming. My first album was released in 2019. It's the first time I released a song. And that was Savage. Um, but my whole like career, like it was crazy how the first album came together because I wasn't planning it. Like I just, I met, I had this girl. She was my vocal coach. Her name was Jasmine. Dope. Super dope. Jasmine Crumley, she's amazing. When I released the album, I had a total of six songs on there. Three of them came, or seven songs. Three came from that producer. Two came from this other producer named Davion. And then one came from um, this producer that he had wrote the song. I had heard it before, but it fit my life. It fit what I was dealing with in my life. So I I bought the song from him. So six songs, I said seven, but it was six songs on the album. And so, but the way the album goes together, the first song is called Someone Like You. And the way the album goes is like the transition of a relationship. Someone Like You is when you first meet the person. The next song, you know, well, let me go a little deeper. You first meet the person and you kind of head over heels. You in the honeymoon phase. You love everything they do. Everything they, they, sm- they smile, they smell, everything. You love it about them. Second song is Do It Like The Weekend. That's, you know, y'all still in y'all little honeymoon phase. Y'all still real connected, love each other, all over each other, stuff like that, going out on dates. You know, I'm at home waiting on him to come home from work or come to the house or whatever. Now we're going to do it like the weekend. Doing it like the weekend, meaning we ain't got to get up and go to work in the morning so we can be up all night being grown. Right, Right, so that's the next phase of the relationship. Like, you've been consistent in, like, a lot of ways, like, ever since we met, but... One thing that never fails is your baby hairs. Like you, like, you know it. You be, got my squigglies. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> I feel like squigglies. I feel like you be taking the trash out, but you like wait, <laughs> hold on, let me lay, let me lay my baby hairs down first. You know what I'm saying? Before you even take the trash out. The trash? I don't care about none of that. <laughs> no, if I'm out, if I'm going out, I'm gonna make sure. I, I just can't. I don't like nappy edges. I've never liked nappy edges. I can't stand nappy edges. I hate <laughs> nappy edges. So it's no way I'm going to walk around with nappy edges. I do not like nappy edges. Now, where can everybody follow you and um, go tune into your music? So I am Tommy Cole on everything. T-O-M-M-I-C-O-L-E. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. I'm not on Twitter anymore. I deleted it. Um yeah, all of those social media platforms, as well as music platforms, Apple Music, Spotify, Tidal, uh, Amazon, YouTube, all of those. It's on everything. Um, SoundCloud, I have something on SoundCloud as well. Um, but everything is Tommy Cole, T-O-M-M-I-C-O-L-E. Thank you for listening to the How Do We Meet podcast. We hope that something in this podcast has resonated with you. You can email us at howdwemeetpod at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at how do we meet podcast until next time. Like OC always says, take it one day at a time.